medical freedom, if they can force you to take a drug or a medication or a shot um, in order for you to participate in society, that's the end. Um, and, you know, we don't have any control over us anymore. Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, Robin Openshaw here and welcome to the Vibe Show and my friend Kirk. Shall we say, Dr. Moore, welcome to my show. Thanks for having me, Robin. So this has been a hell of a month for you. Yeah, can't believe it's, uh, it is, it's, uh, it'll be a month in just a couple of days. The month that feels like a year. Yeah. And it's, uh, and I guess we're just at the beginning from what I understand. So, yes. So everyone, Dr. Moore, um, is accused of giving people vaccine cards without actually giving them the vaccine. Thank you, Kayla. And a Utah doctor and his company are facing serious federal charges accused of running a fake vaccine ring. Court documents state Salt Lake County plastic surgeon Dr. Michael Moore and his co-defendants destroyed nearly $30,000 worth of government-issued vaccines. Health and Human Service investigation found that they would fill out fake vaccine cards in exchange for a cash donation. They're also accused of giving kids fake COVID shots filled with saline at the request of their parents. Dr. Moore and his co-defendants face several federal charges, including conspiracy to defraud the United States. Um, but I want you to know who he is, because it is a rare opportunity that we actually get to interact with a great American hero. And 999 out of 1,000 of Dr. Moore's colleagues were willing to put their head down and serve their own short-term best interests at all of our expense. And the thing that he is accused of doing is not actually the beginning of his story. And I want you to know what he was doing during COVID, and we're going to get to that. But first of all, since we all have that rare opportunity to meet for maybe one of a handful of times in our whole lives, we get to, uh, the chance to meet someone who's willing to lay down his own personal best interests for humanity. Let's just go back to who is Dr. Moore? How'd you get to medical school? What kind of family were you born into? You're a dad. You were a pilot. You were a flight surgeon. You've been a plastic surgeon in Utah now, but where did you start? <laughs> um, yeah, so I was, I was an Air Force brat, um, born in France uh, while my dad was stationed there. Um, and uh moved back to italy in 1968 uh and we lived there for six years well actually sorry lived there for 15 years um until 1983 um came back and finished high school here though so from 1980 to 1983 i did my last three years of high school in a boarding school while my parents and sisters still lived over in italy once i got to college i kind of knew that i wanted to go into medicine um uh and Graduated from college in 87. I had kind of a uh, tumultuous first year of college, had a very low GPA and never kind of recovered from it. So ended up having to do two years of graduate school, um, got into medical school, graduated uh, Alpha Omega Alpha, top 10% of the country. Um, just a, it's a matter of dedication, discipline. Um, and it took me a while to get there. Um, but uh, 
did that. Uh, the, the military paid for my school. I uh, owed them eight years of uh, time after that, five in the reserves, three of active duty. Um, did my internship in Colorado uh, in general surgery, three years in Meridian, Mississippi, um, as a flight surgeon for two different squadrons. Um, when I then got out of got out of the Navy in 97, I had met my future wife uh, about three weeks before I got separated from active duty. Uh, we dated for a year, got married in 98, um, and finished my general surgery training uh, in 99, and then went on and did my two years of plastic surgery. So I got done with my training in 2001, um, moved to Idaho, Idaho Falls, Idaho, for my first four and a half years. Um, and then in 2005, I moved down to Utah, and I've been here ever since. So that's the short version. <laughs> that is the short version. So my father is a retired U.S. Air Force colonel. I'm not sure if I've told you that before, but um, I don't know. There's something special about being raised in the military. Sounds like almost yeah. your whole growing up experience was uh, in Europe. Mine was in the U.S. My dad really didn't want to go to a, go abroad with eight children. But what'd you get from being <laughs> raised military? I, I feel like it made me adaptive because we moved so much. What did it do for you? Been all over the world. I had a lot of experience. Um, I hated it as a kid. It was, you know, just kind of like I just wanted to be home with my friends and, you know, and just hang out with them and go do stuff with them, go to the movies and, you know, whatever. Um, but now that you look back on that, what an experience and what the... the um, the, the stories and the, the life experience that you gain from that is just, uh, um, is, you know, just remarkable. Well, it sounds like you've had to learn to be adaptive and you've lived in some chaos, lived through some chaos. And I yeah. am not being ironic or, or snide at all. When I say, I think that's going to serve you well. Um, with these challenges that you're up against. But I think something that people may not know, because of course the mainstream media isn't going to tell them this bit, is that even though you're pra practicing as a plastic surgeon, you saw in 2020 that people were being denied early treatment. You figured out, you were voraciously reading, and you figured out that we could treat COVID patients early and they would be fine. And I believe that you treated somewhere close to a thousand patients for free during 2020. You want to tell us about that? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I never take care of sick patients. Um, you know, like you said, I'm a plastic surgeon. I, I do breast augmentations, tummy tucks, liposuction. People come in healthy, leave healthy. Um, and, uh, you know, and I was, you know, just, uh, just doing my job. Um, and then I saw this virus coming and, uh, I was actually scared. I, I spent, you know, a month, month and a half in, you know, late January, early February, late January through early March, just kind of going, what the hell's going on? You know, you're seeing all these news reports, you're, you know, you're watching, you're getting online, everybody's talking about it. You know, you see pictures of empty streets in a 14 million city, you know, a city of 14 million people in Wuhan, China. You see um, all these reports of all of the uh, crematoriums that are running overtime and their hotspots on the satellite pictures. And, you know, you see people keeling over in the streets or these videos of people keeling over in the streets. And so without kind of, you know, you're just seeing little snippets of all this across the, you know, across the landscape. And, you know, I was scared. So um, middle of March 15th, 16th, 17th, something like that, whatever that Tuesday was, I went home from surgery, um, called my office before they closed and said, Hey, we're done. We're closing up. 
a week later, Utah shut down. Um, and then in that period of time, like from the 17th, probably through, I don't know, the 25th or end of March, maybe, maybe not quite two weeks, but I just had a chance to sit here. I'm, I'm on the same computer that you're at sitting at the same table that I was at. Um, and I just kept reading and I kept looking at journal articles and I kept watching podcasts and I kept watching and reading, you know, reading everything that I could get on this. And I realized that, you know, wow, this, it's a virus, you know, what's the big deal. Um, and so I completely, I just, I just completely did a 180. Um, and within, you know, within two weeks, I was like, okay, we're done. Um, meantime, we're shut down. I can't open my office up. Um, and then I think that was about the time that Dr. Zem, uh, Zev Zelenko came out, you know, Vladimir Zelenko came out with some of his videos. And, you know, like I said, I'm just, I'm just typing. I'm on my computer all day long, you know, looking and reading. And um, I hear about hydroxychloroquine and, and azithromycin and zinc and um, started reading more about it. Realized that, hey, back in, you know, the early 2000s, uh, our FDA was recommending the use of hydroxychloroquine. And yet you hear on the news that, you know, Donald Trump was killing people, telling them to drink chloroquine, which is the stuff that they use to wash out uh, um, fish tanks, you know, and everything else. And, and, and things that you keep under your sink to, you know, that, that's poison. Uh, it just And it was just crazy. And um, so I... I started writing prescriptions of hydroxychloroquine for anybody and everybody. I wrote them for my family, for my friends, for my staff, anybody that wanted it. Um, I kind of wiped out all the Draper, you know, all the Walgreens, CVS, everybody. There was no hydroxychloroquine left. And, um, you know, and I was just kind of like, and so I did that. And then, then you're sitting here going, okay, well, then they're calling you. They're saying, well, what are you using it for? We're not allowed to use it for that. I'm like, what? Um, what do you mean you're not allowed to use it? I mean, I'd written hydroxychloroquine. I'd been on three humanitarian trips to Africa by this time, and I'd written hydroxychloroquine for 50 to 100 people for their use in, you know, malaria. It, it's, it's, you know, it's a Sunday drug over there. You know, and have, it, you, a, have you ever, in your 20 years of practicing medicine, ever been told that you can't use a common drug for any specific purpose that you decide is best? <laughs> Never. I've never had anybody from any kind of government. I've never had any pharmacist. I've never had anybody tell me that I can't write something or that I can't write a prescription for something. You know, they might come back to me and say, hey, did you know that they're allergic to this? You know, and there's an interaction with this other drug or something. Then, yes, I, I, I've had that happen, but never been told that I can't write it. Never been told that it's not used for that purpose. And so, therefore, we're not prescribing it for you. How do you explain all your um, physician colleagues who do work in emergency medicine and are in? emergency rooms who, for instance, saw all the videos of people walking down the street in China keeling over dead. And then they had patients show up and that wasn't the, the path of this illness at all. And, um, you know, I mean, I could list off 20 other examples that the media, what the media said, you know, the, the old footage from Italy that was shown as if it was on CNN, right. as if it was happening right. in real time. How, how do you explain that most of your colleagues put their heads down, agreed to not prescribe hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, send sick people home when they could have been treated and just do what's in their own interest rather than look out for the patients. How do you explain that? I, I don't have an explanation for it. I really don't, Robin. I've had this conversation with friends of mine, colleagues of mine that agree with me, um, and we just can't come up with it. It's got to have... It, it's one... It's a, um, it, it, there's an element of self-preservation. Um, they don't want to lose their job. Um, they don't want to lose their livelihood. They're trying to do the same thing in terms of, 
you know, being able to provide for their families and their kids. And, um, and there's an element of, I guess, trust kind of aligned trust to, uh, you know, big brother and the government and well, they know what's best. Um, but deep down there has to be an element of, um, just lack of, um, critical thinking. It just, it, it just, people just don't think for themselves anymore. And they, they let other people think for them and they just make those decisions based upon the trust that, Hey, those people are always looking out for us as well. Um, and they, you know, whatever it is that they're saying, it can't be wrong. Um, and so they must be looking out for the best interest of the public as well. And so I'll just have to follow them blindly without looking into it themselves. If you saw 800 to 1,000 patients who just were desperate for some kind of treatment and had been turned away by probably everyone from a family practitioner doctor to an urgent care clinic to a hospital, it's not normal that 800 to 1,000 people came to a plastic surgeon to get treated for a virus. That, that should tell us how bad it was across the board that people could not get early intervention on this illness. What do you have to say about that? Well, um, I didn't go out looking for them. I mean, they just, you know, these are friends and family and neighbors and, uh, you know, some of whom you already know, you know, that knew what I was doing and knew that I was treating people and, um, and they would refer them to me, you know, somebody that had just gotten sent home from the hospital. Hey, I don't feel good. Or somebody who's had seven days of sickness and, you know, just wants to get better and doesn't want to go to the hospital. Um, and who's scared to go to the hospital because uh, they've heard the stories of, you know, people going in, feeling a little bit sick and used to feel a little bit sick and you get treated. They give you some, you know, prescription for some medication, give you, send you home with some flumidine and, you know, and everything else. I mean, in 2020, um, the Walgreens right up the street here didn't write one prescription for flumidine. Not one prescription was written for the, the classic drug that was the most widely prescribed medication in any fall flu season. Um, and, and I, again, um, yeah, so it was just word of mouth. You know, I'm not advertising. I'm not going out there. I'm still trying to do my regular job. Um, you know, and I'm people are calling me on Christmas Day and, you know, and texting me on New Year's, you know, New Year's Eve. And, um, you know, and I answered all my calls um, and I took care of people. And um, in a lot of ways, I was like you said, I was their last resort and uh, that because they just didn't want to go to the hospital. I remember you saying to me in whatever 2021, I. John and I told you we were really sick. Um, not so much that we really needed drugs, not so much that we tried to go to a clinic, but like we felt worse than we had in decades. I think I've been that sick like once before in my life. And I didn't, we couldn't get any ivermectin. And I didn't have any primary care physician because the last doctor I had seen is the one that pulled a now 22 year old out of my body. And so I was like, I don't really know how to navigate the medical system. What I do for a living is teach people how to not have to have so much engagement with the medical system. And I said something to you, it's just coming back to me right now. We just, we didn't know where to go. And we, you know, being really sick, we're just trying to find somebody who would give us some ivermectin. And then when we finally got a prescription for it, we could not get a pharmacist to fill, to fill it. One after the other, after the other said they literally would not give it to us. We got hung up on, on the phone. And I told you this story and you said, you should have contacted me. I would have given it to you. And I said, you wouldn't have taken my call. You didn't even know who I was. And you said, yes, I would have. Yeah. 
I mean, that was, um, <laughs> that was my daily, you know, daily event. Um, you know, people knew who I was, you know, we have a group of 400 and some odd people on a group me thread that I was involved in and they know that I'm a doctor, their friends, their family, their, um, their neighbors, you know, everybody, all of them. Hey, uh, if you, if you're sick and you need help, Dr. Moore will help you. And that's, that's where it went. Well, I'm sure I'm not alone in just wanting to thank you from the bottom of my heart for what you've done for so many people. I think that there are, I have them falling like flies. One of my employees' sons right now who had to drop out of medical school and bullied my employee. That's probably a strong word, but said, you have to get these two jabs, even though you've just been through three years of chemotherapy. And my husband and I were giving him information from doctors and scientists showing the risks of getting these experimental injections. And he, he, I think he found it compelling what I was sharing with him, but his son in medical school was um, telling him, I'm almost a doctor. You need to get these shots. Well, that son right now is septic and on a vent in a hospital as a result of a total breakdown of the immune system. And I don't even know exactly what the whole cascade is. I found out about it yesterday morning when he's fighting for his life on a vent. And so you know, and this, this is the son who was like, you know, we have to do what the government tells us. And like, how can you really blame them? They're young. Mike, my, my children have not had the negative experiences I have with the medical system and how co-opted it is and how the regulatory agencies are captured and, and that we can't always trust the government. I haven't had those experiences. They're young. And you've probably seen a lot of young, a lot of young people who are in the military and, and, in medicine and in school to be healthcare workers. Is that well, motivating? Look, Robin, you know, look, the thing to me um, that I just couldn't wrap my brain around was, um, and I've told everybody this, uh, and so I'm sorry if I'm repeating it, but the thing to me is when is the last time that we as physicians or as any practitioner, nurse practitioner, PA, whatever, nurse, anybody who has any knowledge in medicine, when is it that you see somebody and you know that they're sick, you don't treat them, and you send them home and say, hey, when you can't breathe anymore, come back and see me. That's, that's essentially what we are telling people. When your lips are blue and you're struggling to take in a breath, that's when you need to come see me because that's when I can help you. When, you know, somebody who's got prostate cancer, breast cancer, uh, somebody who's got progressive coronary artery disease, when do you wait for them to have a massive heart attack before you, um, before you intervene? I mean, you don't. You find out that somebody's got three-vessel cardiac disease. You go in, you clean it out, you put a stent in, you increase their blood flow so that you prevent them from having a heart attack. Why weren't we doing the same thing here? Why weren't we treating people with the stuff that we knew worked for other, you know, viral illnesses? I mean, even if you're just writing a prescription for flumidine, which I don't think flumidine really works, but you're talking about a virus that is causing flu-like symptoms. What's the problem with that? Yeah, is your conclusion the same as mine that because you need there to be no effective treatment so that you can get an emergency use authorization for a vaccine? Absolutely. I don't think there's any, you know, uh, and I I can't say, uh, well, I will say this. By the time the end of the summer came around, 
And everybody started talking about, hey, we got to wait for a vaccine. I knew that it was all a money play. It was all just corporate interest. It was all about, you know, new, um, you know, uh, new drugs, more money, um, more profits. Um, and, and, and that's just because that's, that's just the only way. That's the only answer that I could come up with. It was just that, that's a, that it had to be that. You know, why would you sit and not treat people and tell people, well, we can't get out of this until we, you know, until we start into a, you know, and, and until we get a vaccine. When have vaccines ever worked for that anyway? But, um, you know, regardless of whether you like vaccines or whether you don't, um, you know, it's that you it's never been used in the middle of an epidemic or a pandemic. It's never been used that way. Um it's it's used maybe to help prevent people from getting a disease. You you know you help boost their immune system against something that they may or may not be exposed to, to prevent them from getting sick from it. Um, and you know, and, and not, let alone let alone a brand new platform uh, right, type of vaccine right. that doesn't even really qualify as right. what we have always historically called a vaccine. And supposedly the beauty of it is, is that as we have these variants, they can just update the vaccine so quickly while the boosters aren't working. That much is clear. Right. Well, they can't update them as quickly as a vaccine or as quickly as a virus is going to mutate. And, you know, because it's going to mutate by the time you get it through production, uh, you know, and everything else, it's just you're already on to the next, you know, you're already on to the next mutation. Too late. What, what do you have to um, share with what's going on in Australia and what's going on in California? Maybe update people on that because it is absolutely shocking. So are you talking about AB 298 or 2098? I don't or... know the bill numbers, but talking about in Australia that you can literally lose your license if you, if you speak to your patients in a way con- counter to the government narrative. And in California, it is it, it has been... Um, there is a temporary injunction on it. We don't know how it's going to resolve, right. but I believe it's Bobby Kennedy who is behind that. But right. you could, it's kind of similar thing. Yeah. So um, that's Assembly Bill 2098 in California. They did put a, you know, a, a, an injunction on it right now. So it, because it went into effect on January 1st. Um, but yeah, there was a federal judge that put an injunction on it so that, you know, the physicians there cannot be um, prosecuted or lose their license for it. But basically the legislature in California in their infinite wisdom and the governor signed a law that basically says that if a physician speaks against the government narrative, they can lose their license. And that's considered misinformation. And even, and the interesting thing is in the law, there's no definition of misinformation. So that can just morph and change. And, you know, whoever considers it misinformation versus information, you know, so, you know, one minute it's information, next minute it's misinformation. And so now you can lose your license. You know, thank God that right now there's a temporary injunction. I think it's obviously a, um, you know, it, it's it's a First Amendment, just a classic First Amendment violation um, and I don't think it's going to stand withstand scrutiny. Um, but they, but what gets me even more so is, is that you actually have enough people in a Congress or in a legislature in California that think that that was a good law to pass and a governor who thinks that it was a good law to sign. Um, I, that to me is really more of the underlying problem, uh, than, than the actual bill itself, although the bill's bad. In Washington, D.C., there were enough legislators in Washington, D.C., as well as the mayor, to pass a bill that children can get mm-hmm. 
the vaccine without their parents' involvement, which involves a cover-up to the parents because, and and, and now we have, and, and so the court did strike that down, thanks to the ICON network. However, now we have a similar bill for for 12-year-olds and for 14-year-olds in Connecticut and in Maryland. So it appears that they're just pushing the agenda on all fronts until they right. can get a win. That one in D.C. was also for kids, too. And yep. they were hiding it. They, they were making it so that you were actually lying to the parents. You weren't, you know, weren't disclosing it to them. The providers weren't disclosing it to them. They, they were billing it to the insurance company under a fraudulent premise without disclosing it so that the parents couldn't see that they'd had any of that done. I mean, I, you know, the, the, the chutzpah to kind of do something like that to, it's a, I mean, oh my gosh. I mean, how do you think that the government is putting themselves between the, the parents and their kids uh, in that way and, and thinking that, you know, that they're, that they're doing the right thing. Um, you know, you mentioned about Australia and you're right. Australia is a government-mandated catch-22. Australia um, tells you that you cannot speak against the government narrative or risk losing your license. So similar to AB 2098. So you can't speak against the COVID vaccine um, or you risk losing your license. But unlike here in the U.S., if you inject somebody with this poison, and they suffer a complication, you can be held liable for it. So you as the physician are now going to be sued and could lose your, again, lose your license, lose your livelihood at the very least, um, if you don't, or I mean, if you do treat them. So on the one hand, if you don't treat them and you tell them what they think they should or shouldn't do, you can lose your license. And on the other hand, you can get sued and lose your license. I mean, why would you want to practice medicine in a place like that? Yeah, we have have set our healthcare workers up for a big fall here. And um, it's absolutely disturbing. And I hear of lots of doctors and nurses dropping out of the profession after all that training, after many of them being senior level in their career. Um, You know, similar thing going on with the military, similar thing going on with pilots. My neighbor in Park City uh, retired as a Navy pilot. He's also a Delta pilot, retired as a Navy pilot at age 42, rather than rather than get the jobs. And so we're losing the best and the brightest. We're losing from all those industries and areas of the economy. We're losing the people with their critical thinking skills. I have to wonder if it's by design. But this is this is a good segue for me to. I, I, I'm I need to be tough guy here for everyone listening. So in California, the legislators and the governor passed this law to persecute doctors and to make them be government robots in, in Connecticut and in Maryland right now, I think we can probably expect that the legislators and the governors will pass laws that children can get, get signed up for the jab and get this thing injected into them without their parents knowing. And it is literally a collusion of all these government entities hiding it from the parents, including insurance um, in DC, it's a court that struck it down. Now, now Dr. Moore is now in the situation of having to defend himself in a court of law. And a lot of people who are listening to this may know an awful lot about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard's court case, because that's the stupid kind of crap that we listen to. And these are the people we consider heroes 
And these are the people we give our time and attention to and our dollars to at the movie theater. We actually are looking at a hero who laid it all down for us. And there's potentially hundreds of people who would have died without your intervention with COVID. And what, what is alleged, you know, with regard to the vaccines, you, you are accused of helping 2000 people who did not want to poison themselves. So I just want to tell everybody that there's an opportunity to help Dr. Moore here. And I'm going to have a link down below and I am going to match. I already donated $5,000 and I've never used a vaccine card and I didn't ask him to help me with COVID. I've already donated $5,000. I will match up to another $5,000 for anybody who sends Dr. Moore's legal expense fund an amount that ends in seven. Okay. If it's $107, if it's $7, if it's $1,007, I'll match it up to another $5,000. And I'm, I'm telling you this for no other reason than to say, pick an amount that hurts, pick an amount that hurts. You know, I'm in my own legal battles. You know, I was telling Kirk before we got started, I get calls from the FBI. I've been in five lawsuits in the last two years. Every single one of them has cost me tens of thousands of dollars. My entire life force is just bleeding away. But what are we even here for if we don't stand up to the greatest tyranny in human history? This, this, is, this, is, this is a cause worth fighting for. And you know what? If we don't stand up for Dr. Moore, this will stand as a legal precedent. And if everybody doesn't understand how the courts are our only hope at this point, as we see, we see legislators, we see the legislative branch passing laws, we see the executive branch signing them into law all over the country and including in other countries like Australia, we have the judicial branch left. And I have, I have someone who texts me all the time what the wins are by Liberty Council, which is a law firm who's fighting for medical freedom. She, she just told me this morning three wins that they've gotten recently. We are getting wins in the court. And we need Dr. Moore to win for his sake because, and I'll let him fill in the gaps here, but I believe he could literally go to jail for two years and have to pay $800,000 in fines. I'll, I'll stop my rant and hand it back over to you here in just a second. But I just want to say it takes money to defend yourself. And it's not okay with me that he stand here alone and have to defend himself when he helped so many at such a great cost. And so I'm asking all of you to donate an amount that hurts. I'm not saying to give your children's food money. I'm just saying, like, do you have any excess to donate to this? Because I will match. I will watch the fund and I will see everything ends in seven and I will match it up to another $5,000. So what do you have to say to people who I am asking to help you, Dr. Moore? You know, the uh, I did all of this for free. I did not get paid on any of it, but I didn't. I didn't do it in the hopes that this would happen. I I certainly knew that somebody could potentially look at things that I was doing and say that I had done something wrong. Um, I have no regrets. I, I would have done this again. I'm abiding by first do no harm. I'm treating my patients the way they wanted to be treated. And I, I'm, uh, I'm going to fight this all the way to the end and I'll, I'll do everything that I can. But the issue is here. It's not just me. Um, if, like you said, it's legal precedent, um, I, I believe that this is a fentanyl test case. It's going to be used as an opportunity for people or for the government to say, hey, look what we can do to you if you don't do what we want you to do. 
the Biden administration has already tried to mandate gender reassignment surgery um, for kids, you know, not just offer it, but mandating. So if you have a 12-year-old boy that wants to be a girl, um, the government is going to mandate that somebody cut off that boy's penis. Um, somebody like you. Somebody like me. Um, and it's, it's uh, you know, we always talk about the slippery slope. Um, but where does it stop? It started with masks. It started with and moved on to vaccines. Um, it's just, it's going to keep going. And we have to stop it. And nobody's going to, you know, nobody's going to stop it unless we do, it, it, you know, and I can't do it alone. I, I treated, you know, 2000 people. Um, I mean, there's a whole lot more. I mean, I, the numbers are what, 70% or whatever, some out of the United States is vaccinated. How many people is that? That's 70% of 330 million. That's 200 million people. We just, we, we can't, we, we need numbers, you know, um, we need people to stand up. We need people to say no. Um, and we need people to push back and say the government needs to stay out of our medical lives. I think the government should stay out of a lot of other things as well. I don't think they belong between a mother and a parent in their education. Um, or, or sorry, a parent and their kids in their education. I don't, you know, but medical freedom, if they can force you to take a drug or a medication or a shot um, in order for you to participate in society, that's the end. Um, and, you know, we don't have any control over us anymore. Yeah, this this is a fight for all the marbles, everyone. So whatever we're hoarding money for, this is uh, this is the time to uh, be a little less a little less concerned about hoarding cash and reali realizing that this is for all the marbles. What are we hanging on to it for? Uh, when we don't have the right to our own bodies anymore, what what are we even what are we even doing here? So I'm asking that everybody listening to this. Um, Think of every single person you know who would like to hear from a great American hero and see that there actually are people of courage who, with very little thought for their own short-term best interests, for the, the, the money in their bank account, laid it all down for you and me. We don't get to meet someone like this very often. And I've had the great privilege of meeting this amazing doctor in person and um, it kind of redeems Utah for me. I actually left left Utah not because I don't love all y'all Utahns, um, but you know when you can work anywhere, you go that go go somewhere that treats you better. Let's let's dig deep into our pockets and help because we we need to see uh, Doctor Moore exonerated of this. We need that for him. It's not okay that he did so much for us and we don't give back. Even if, like, like me, like if you haven't used a, a vaccine passport and you haven't um, had to seek out a plastic surgeon because he's the only one who will give you any kind of early treatment for COVID so that you don't end up in the hospital, even so, even so, if you have it to give, I, I encourage you to, to help Dr. Moore out. He has a couple of people who are accused of helping him in this quote unquote crime that I consider one of the greatest acts of heroism that I've seen in my lifetime. I think that Kirk, I think that you will go on to be awarded some kind of equivalent of a purple heart for what you've done here. And I know this has got to be painful. I'm completely amazed that you are saying 
that you have no regrets because you could be angry with us. Uh, Utah has only given you $35,000 and I would like to see that number go up. Um, You know, I've been asking my family to help. I know there are more people who can help. If if you helped a thousand people who had COVID and potentially 2,000 other people, that's 3,000 people who should be helping you. And not everyone can. And I totally understand that. But I just really wanted to, to have everybody get a chance to meet you and hear your story and have a chance to tell you thank you. Thank you on behalf of our children who have their whole lives ahead of them. And I have two injured children. One who they, they not, not my biological child, but they cut him open to do heart surgery because his resting heart rate is 240 after getting two jobs. And they couldn't do the surgery because his veins are clogged. Okay, we won't go sideways on why so many people, people's veins are clogged, but you and I both know about that. And I have a, my youngest biological child who I could not talk out of it. And he had a, a an acute chronic pain under his left pec for a long time. And I asked people on Facebook to pray and 2000 told me they prayed and his pain went away and hasn't come back. And that was two months ago. So miracles are possible. We need all heroes on deck. We need everybody who's got $107 or $1,007 or $10,007 to, to step up here. Any final words, Dr. Moore? It, it is about the injustice of our government forcing something on a populace um, and to some degree unsuspecting. There are a lot of injuries out there, um, a lot. And there's a lot of people dying. Um, in the numbers, 2020, um, the death rate in the month of December of 2020, which is when the vaccines were launched, both in terms of the study as well as um, for availability to first responders. Um, the numbers in December of 2020 were, the, uh, were 30% higher for death rate than they were for the average of the first 11 months of 2020. Then um, the same thing carried through um, through the first few months of you know 2021. We need to we need to push back. It's you know nobody's going to do it for you, um, and uh, you know we can all help each other, but um, people have to push back um, and people have to say no. It's a fight that we have to be willing to do because if we don't, then nobody else is going to stand up for us. Totally agree. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Kirkmore, for everything you do for us and everyone else. We'll see you next time.